Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the Eagles are still alive as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 160. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell to discuss what we saw from the Eagles in their last second win over the Houston Texans. This was an absolutely thrilling game. A lot of fun, not just to watch live, but also go back and study the film of. Greg and I will also hit on the Washington Redskins, but also want to talk about about this Vikings-Bears matchup this week as well, since that's the game that will be so pivotal for the Eagles' future. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report, where I'll go through my notes on third-year defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis coming out of Temple back in 2016. He was a very productive player in college, but he has exceeded my expectations in the NFL. I'll hit on exactly why in that segment. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles, the win over Houston, and how the Chicago Bears match up with the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday afternoon. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade, our buddy Greg Cosell. Greg, Welcome from NFL Films. We're here to talk about the Eagles' big win over the Houston Texans in Week 16. Obviously, a win that keeps this team alive for the postseason. And Greg, uh, after watching the film here Monday morning, what were your initial takeaways coming away from the tape? Well, you know, it's funny. Offensively, I thought the pass game was obviously really efficient. Um, I thought they had a really good feel for the Texans' defense. Uh, because it it was it almost got back to what we saw so often a year ago, where the scheme really defined the throws so cleanly, and obviously you have to make the throws. And Nick Foles was very sharp, but it was it was, to me it was just such a good example of how they were able to break down the defense with a very good feel for it, and and just execute at a really high level in the pass game. You know, it's a good point you make that it did seem like last year. And really, to me, the the big thing that I thought walking away was that they had answers for everything. You know, they they knew they dialed up the man yep. beaters when the man beaters need, were needed. They dialed up the zone beaters when the zone beaters were needed. I mean, uh, Nick Foles, uh, they had the right play call, right? and sometimes that's a credit to him as well, making sure that they're in right position to to have the right play in that situation. You're 100% right. I mean, the quarterback gets a lot of credit for that as well because, obviously, if you come to the line of scrimmage and you see a defense that you feel takes care of the play you have called, or as so many teams do now, there's a couple of options within play calls that you can kill and move to something else, but the quarterback has to recognize all that and then change a play, as Nick Foles did on the 83-yard touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. I mean, he clearly checked or audibled at the line of scrimmage to something that was not the initial play call. So that that goes on the quarterback, and Nick Foles did a really, really good job with that. Yeah, we had Doug Peterson on Eagles game plan this week, so you can keep an eye out for that uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. That should drop on Thursday. And Doug, 
talked about what Nick saw pre-snap, and he saw something with the alignment of the defenders at the second and third level, uh, saw the alignment there and changed the play to try and create that one-on-one matchup there with Tyron Matthew on Nelson Aguilar vertically down the field. They obviously felt confident that that was a matchup they could win, uh, and Nelson did that. It was a great ball from Nick. It was a great route from Nelson, uh, and it went for the longest play for the Eagles in nine years. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great example. And, and you know, that was also the start of a drive. I, I forget, I think it was the third possession of the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, but it was the first play of a drive. And that's when you go to the sideline in between drives and you talk things through and you get a feel for what you're seeing, and then you come out and start a drive. And normally when you start a drive, you feel pretty good about the play you're calling to start it. So I give Nick Foles a ton of credit for that because he's, you know goes in the huddle. They're really ready to you know go to work. He calls the play and then comes to the line of scrimmage, and something is not what it's supposed to be, you know, what they're planning. And the ability to then change the play right away there and then get exactly what you want. I mean, obviously, you've got to execute the physical part, and and, and Nick made a phenomenal throw, but they obviously wanted the one-on-one matchup with Nelson Aguilar and Taran Matthew, and they got it. You know, I thought that the Eagles really dictated to the Texans in this game as well. There, there was there was one drive in the third quarter where we saw, and I haven't charted it yet, Greg. It's kind of been a, a hurried morning here, obviously with the holiday, and they they came out. So I haven't charted what the the twelve. You mean you're not taking the Bill Belichick approach, Fran? That uh, Christmas comes at an inopportune time during yeah. the football season. <laughs> exactly. I can't. I can't wait a month to celebrate it. Your wife uh, doesn't quite go for that. No, it, it doesn't fly too well at home. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I think when you you know when you look at this this game, you know they they came out once again a lot of heavy tight end personnel sets. We saw a lot of twelve, a lot of thirteen, and that drive that I was alluding to in the third quarter, they came out in thirteen personnel for a handful of plays and went empty for the first few plays, and yeah. they saw a lot of success because they had to know that Houston. Was going to check into cover two time and time again, and all they did was prey on that cover two, and they moved the ball down the field, and that ended up tying the game at 16 off that field goal drive. No, you're exactly right. But I think it was a game to me just going through the tape where I felt like the Eagles, and, and you know, this comes across in, in many ways to different people. You know, uh, people think, oh, well, someone's out coached. I don't think of it that way. I just feel like the Eagles had such a good feel for the defense they were facing. And don't forget, we're in week 16. So there's usually not a lot of surprises. Teams know what the other team is, is doing. Uh, you know, the Texans in week 16 are not going to come out with something they haven't shown all season long. It doesn't work like that because you have to practice these things. So I just thought the Eagles had a really, really good feel for what the Texans do and how they play on defense, and uh, they were able to take advantage of it. And as we said, you still have to execute, and I thought Nick Foles executed at a very high level, and uh, obviously the receivers did as well. Yeah, I thought you and I, you and I were on the same page from the the last performance against the LA Rams. Obviously, an outstanding win for the Eagles. You know, there's no taking away from the win, but we, we, you and I both felt the same just about the offensive performance. Like there was some good, but there was some bad, and some things that they could take away and get better at. This one, I felt was just a much more impressive performance yep. all the way across the board. I thought it was really, really good across the board. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I thought last week. Uh, that Nick was solid, but I didn't think there was anything about his game in particular where you went, wow, that was just an awesome performance. Yeah. This week was a little more like that. This week, it was the combination of scheme and design and execution. Uh, it was just a game where you come away saying where Nick Foles really played a high-level game. 
Yeah, one play that we saw a handful of times in this game was that that mesh concept, right? Oh, yeah. That you're, you know, what you refer to as the mesh shit wheel, where you've got uh, three routes over the ball, those two shallow crosses, and that route that settles right in the middle of the field between the hashes, the wheel route from the backfield as well. And what I loved about it was, you know, Nick Foles was four for five. Uh, you obviously had that really long pass to to Darren Sproles, a couple other of nice completions there. All four completions went to four different receivers in the route progression. So you got to see how that route and how that concept has answers for everything that the defense can throw. And obviously, look, you're not going to bat a 1,000 when you, whenever you run any play. No. But I thought it was really impressive to see them run that multiple times in the game and have success going to all the different receivers in the progression. Yeah, and I think we've discussed that mesh concept before, and I know you've done it numerous times as well on Eagles.com with others. So we know that it's a route concept that presents answers versus both man and zone, and then it's up to the receivers to recognize and the quarterback to recognize. But the route concept itself, because it's essentially four routes. I mean, obviously there's a fifth eligible receiver, but it's essentially a four-man concept when all said and done. So it does present uh, answers for both man and zone, but as we said, the quarterback has to read it correctly. What did you think about the, obviously, look, he had the, a couple of big plays in the passing game, but, but when you look at Darren Sproles as a runner and then you look uh. at uh, Wendell and then also Josh Adams in the game, you know, Josh Adams the last couple of weeks, I think, you know, he's, I don't want to see, he, look, he, I don't want to say he's like hit a wall or whatever, but the last couple of weeks he hasn't been running as efficiently, he, you know, it hasn't looked as confident uh, as a ball carrier, uh, whether it's been short yardage, perimeter runs, you know, he just hasn't been able to get into much of a groove. When uh, Darren ran the ball really, really hard yesterday, you saw how decisive he was with the ball and a couple really nice runs. Uh, I'll be interested to see what his role is as a ball carrier. And the, the, obviously, this game coming up is a must-win against Washington, but if they get into the postseason as well, just what that you know pecking order looks like in the backfield with Corey Clement on injured reserve. It's a great point because I think Darren Sproles just being on the field, he gives them more in the passing game than the other backs as well, and I think he's been critical to what they've been able to do in the pass game, and that, of course, pre- dates by, I think, a week or two, Nick uh, coming into play. But uh, but I think, uh, you know, Sproles is, he gives them the sprint draw, which I think in the context of their offense is a really good run. Uh, so we'll see. He could get more uh, more touches because at this time of year, look, we don't know what happens past Sunday. They have to, you know, go out and win Sunday first, and then Minnesota obviously has to lose. But, you know, you're not you're not saving anybody at this time of year. And I thought Wendell had, you know, he only had a couple touches, but I thought Wendell... He ran hard. He did. You know, he's a fascinating guy to me, Fran, because we talk about him all the time when we're sitting and watching the games, and, you know, obviously there's been games he's been a healthy scratch, there's been games he doesn't get many touches, there's been other weeks he's gotten a lot of touches, but to me, and, and again, I'm not at practice every day, I don't know all those other things that come from being at practice every day, but it seems to me every time he plays that he shows up pretty well. Yeah, I thought a couple of plays yesterday. He did a really good job out in the open field, uh, you know, allowing blocks to kind of uh, develop and and play off of those blocks. I thought he did a good job uh, in the game on Sunday. Uh, one last guy, I feel like we have to get to, and we've talked about a little bit just the multiple tight end sets. But we got to talk with Zach Ertz, obviously extremely productive in this game. It kind of shut down the narrative that some people wanted to try and run with last week, that all oh, the, uh, the offense was so great because they, <laughs> they didn't run it through well, Zach Ertz. everybody has to have a definitive answer. Sure. The key thing is to have the smallest sample size possible, and then you can have your most <laughs> definitive answers. Exactly, exactly right. Well, you know, it's, so then they come out yesterday, and it's – 
you know, completion of Zach Ertz, completion of Zach Ertz, third down conversion of Zach Ertz, another third down conversion of Zach Ertz, and you saw, okay, this is kind of this is the game that we're going to play. Last week it was kind of, it was set up to do something similar. They had a couple of targets early in the game that were you know plays that were developed to kind of get Ertz the football, and they were incomplete. They had a couple of red zone chances for Ertz, and they were incomplete. This week they were able to convert on a lot of those, and Zach Ertz obviously sets the single season record in the NFL for most receptions, uh, eclipses that mark set by Jason Witten a few years back. But Zach Ertz another great game and showed. You know, as a route runner, there were a few really nice routes in this game. The, one of my favorites, though, was uh, down in the red zone. It was just before his t- his first touchdown, Greg. It was the third and long uh, in the second quarter. He ran that corner stop route, and he came back and attacked the line of scrimmage and caught the ball just shy of the goal line. Oh, you're talking about the, the, the low throw that he, he dove and caught it? Exactly, and I thought he did a great job coming back and, and helping out his quarterback because that was a tight throw. There were two defenders in the area. He did a yeah. great job making himself available. And, and, I, and don't uh, lose sight of it how great a throw that was because the rule of thumb as you know is when it's the front of the end zone you throw it low and it's the back of the end zone you throw it high and that was a great throw by Nick Falls really placing it in the only spot that he could for Zach Ertz to catch it. Yeah I I kind of figured looking at how the numbers would play out I thought you know what week 17 Washington that's probably where we'll see the record get broken well they they made quick work of that. Yeah they made quick work of that. You know something you and I have talked about for a number of weeks now and and this was a play uh, that I really liked, and I, I I know you did as well. We just I'm going to get to it. You know, we haven't gotten to it yet. Was the Goddard 23 yard slam in the fourth quarter? Because I think that that speaks to where this offense could go. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about where do they go if they want to play with a lot of 12 personnel, meaning whether it's 50 percent of the snaps, 60 percent of the snaps, whatever the number may be. The point is they have two really good tight ends, and Ertz was not in the game on that play. They were in 11 personnel with Goddard split. He was in a plus split outside the numbers and they ran slant flat and he ran the slant and he beat a corner now it's a backup corner it's their third corner but the point is he beat a corner and I think that's the kind of thing you're excited to see given where this offense may go I just feel like when it's all said and done, when they go into 2019 and you say, all right, who are the, you know, look, five eligible receivers, one of them's going to be a back. Who are the four top eligible receivers on this Eagles team? It's going to be hard. I think this team's going to be hard pressed to say that both Ertz and Goddard aren't in the top four. Uh, I got to think that that'll be their best personnel grouping going into next year. Yeah, and and, and having said that, we both know they're not going to be in that group 90% of the time. Of course. But I think that. I don't think we've seen anywhere near what Dallas Goddard is. We're starting to see flashes, um, but I think this kid is, is you know really athletic, and I think he'll get more and more so as he spends more time you know in the weight room and in the organization. And I think you'll see someone who's who could really be a split player. And, and, and as I say that, I don't mean every single snap, but that he's capable of doing what he did on that 23-yarder we just spoke about. Of course. And then let's go over to the defensive side, Greg, because uh, I thought there was there were some good things. Look, they they almost coughed up. The- or they did cough up the lead uh, late in the game. But most of the drives that Houston got were either aided by penalties, which you know that, that's part of the game, or they came off turnovers and short fields. So uh, I thought that Houston, while they did move the football, um, you know, I thought that there were a lot of good things, especially against the run from this Eagles team. Really, really good at the point of attack in the run game. Obviously, the, the Texans down Lamar Miller. But what were your initial takeaways watching the defense on film? Well, I agree with you about the run defense. I mean, they, they didn't give them any room at all, particularly on those inside zone type runs. They they just didn't give them anything whatsoever. Yeah. Now, it's not a great O-line, but you still have to line up and play. And by the way, b- before Lamar Miller got hurt, he was definitely on pace for over 1,200 yards, so it's not as if the Texans were incapable of running the football. Um, 
the other thing that really stood out to me was what they did with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, even though he ended up with good numbers. They clearly had specific approach designed to, to play DeAndre Hopkins, yes. very often with double concepts. Not, you know, not hard double concepts, but they were clear double concepts where they would play. It was usually Corey Graham sort of playing over the top of him. Uh, so they, they clearly were game and opponent specific to deal with DeAndre Hopkins, who, while he did end up, I think, with nine for 104, was that what he ended up with? I think something like that, yeah. But I, I, I felt watching the tape that he wasn't a huge factor in the game. And, you know, he had a, a couple of phenomenal catches, and a couple of them came back-to-back, so it seemed, oh, wow. But, I mean, overall, despite those numbers, I didn't feel like that he, he was a controlling offensive force in the game. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I, I would agree, especially, you know, going back and watching it. Because especially those, a lot of those catches came late. So throughout the course of the game, you thought, man, they're, they're really doing a lot to try and keep him from being a factor. I think the the other big thing too was uh, you know looking at the the rush. Look, there were a lot of missed opportunities for this Eagles def- defensive line where they could have gotten Watson to the ground. We all remember. Well, that's his. I mean, he's great at that Watson. You have to give him a ton of credit. Yeah, the th- know, I mean that third and, and eleven, even, even second reaction type plays, not ones where they had him in his grasp, but but the touchdown to Foreman. Yeah. I mean, that was a classic case where he wanted to go to Hopkins and they had Hopkins over the top and the throw wasn't there. And then he moves, and they were, I think they were playing in man coverage. And, you know, those are just difficult plays to defend. That's where you have to tip your hat to Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you look at looking ahead now to this game against Washington, it's a, it's a different looking outlook. Philosophically, they're the same, but some different challenges when you go and look ahead to this matchup here on Sunday afternoon against Washington because you've got Josh Johnson at quarterback. Uh, Chris Thompson is healthy. They've got Byron Marshall, the former Eagle, is now healthy. So they incorporate a lot of those different things in there uh, with both backs on the field. Obviously, the, the offense really funnels through Adrian Peterson. But if you're the Eagles' defense, looking back on what we've seen both this week and then last week, what are the, the big keys for you going into this matchup against Washington Redskins? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, number one, it starts with Adrian Peterson, and, and that'll be different than playing the Texans because Peterson is, is their foundation, and he will be their foundation. And he's basically an inside runner, although they do at times. They didn't do it much against Tennessee, but they do at times, as we know, because they didn't play Washington that long ago and we studied him then. They might get him on the perimeter a little bit, but he's mostly an inside runner. He's very good work gap to gap on the inside gaps. He's got that jump cut ability, that stop and start ability, and he's able to still explode with power when he does that. So he's essentially an inside power runner. And the kind of back, as you know, Fran, that sometimes you can watch a run and think he gained two yards and you look up and it's second and four. He's that kind of back and he's, he's always been that kind of back and he still has that trait. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's going to be the number one thing going into this game. And then uh, with what they're doing with Josh Johnson, what are some of the things that you've seen that's just different from what we've seen typically from Jay Gruden? Is there anything different about this passing game over the last couple of weeks? Um, well, I think that clearly with Josh Johnson, there's a couple of things, and that's why the run game is so important to them and why that, that matchup is critical in this game. Because with Josh Johnson – you want you're looking for the quick game you're looking for boot action you're looking for play action that's what you're looking for all those things don't work particularly well if you're getting into a lot of third and longs yeah so 
in an ideal world, you know, if you're a Redskin fan, and we'll speak about it from the Redskins' perspective, you want to be in situations where you can do those things, and also where his legs come into play, both by design and also uh, improvisationally. Because if it's third and four, the legs are a big factor. Who knows? You might even think to uh, spy him. The Eagles, I think, spied a couple of times in this game out of nickel with Hicks against Deshaun Watson. So that changes your defense. When it's third and nine or ten, you usually don't think about spying. But So it, it changes the way you play based on the down and, the down and distance and the yards to go. So uh, that's what I think the Redskins would like to do. I thought, actually, Josh Johnson, for the most part, played very well this past week, given his lack of experience over the last n- number of years. But they were able to kind of run the football really effectively. Peterson had 26 carries for 119 yards. Uh, the score was close, so they were able to stay with the run. And even if they got into a long-yarded situation and wanted to throw a screen or, or you know, do something that was not necessarily going to get the first down, they were able to do that because of the score of the game. So that's ultimately the way they, they want to play and need to play. This is an offensive line in Washington that's just been oh. ravaged by injuries. I mean, they, the tackles are back and they're healthy and Morgan Moses and Trent Williams. But, you know, at guard, going into the last game just a month ago, they were on their third and fourth guards. You had Jonathan Cooper and Tony Bergstrom in for Sean Laval and Brandon Scherf. Well, those guys are gone. Uh, they're both injured. So now you've got Luke Boanko at left guard, the former Jaguar, and then Zach Karen at right guard. These are matchups that you would think, if you're the Eagles, you feel pretty good about on the inside. You would think, and it's funny you say that, because I really looked at that carefully when I watched the Redskins tape. I actually watched it Sunday morning after they played Saturday night because I really wanted to spend some time with it. And they were playing against a very good Tennessee defense. I mean, the Eagles haven't played Tennessee since week, uh, it was probably three or four, but I watch Tennessee every week, and they are a very, very good defense with a good interior group. And I have to tell you that... I thought the interior three, uh, the center, Roulier, uh, they played Luke Boenko at left guard, uh, right guard, I believe, um, and then Karen, Zach Karen, and he got hurt, and then Fuller, Kyle Fuller, who I believe was the old center from Baylor, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Sure, yep. Um, he, they sort of shared the other guard spot because uh, until Karen came back in, and he then he played. Uh, I thought they did a really good job in the run game versus a strong Titans defensive front. They minimized the quick penetration. They were efficient executing combo blocks. I mean, that's what the tape showed. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to dominate Fletcher Cox. That's not my point. But my point is you look at those guys inside, those interior three, and you just assume the Eagles will dominate. Most people would have thought that the, that the Titans would have dominated, and they didn't. They held their own. Yeah, well, that would be a matchup to watch uh, in this game for sure. And then on the other side of the football, obviously, we, we spent – I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on the Redskins because we just did this a month ago, but I think obviously the strength of this group is that front seven, particularly that defensive line. You know, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt yep. Ioannidis, Ryan Kerrigan, Preston Smith. I mean, it's a, it's a very formidable front. Yeah, but you know what's fascinating to me? I watch them on tape, and I know you have as well, through, you know, throughout the season because they're in the same division. Yep. You see a lot of really good plays, yeah, and I think Deron Payne is absolutely terrific, by the way, as I know you do as well. Correct. But the numbers don't work with the tape. You know, it's it, their run defense over the last month, five, six games, has not been very good numbers-wise, but yet when you watch the tape, you feel like they're good. Right. But I think they've struggled at linebacker. Uh, you know, obviously they decided, oh, maybe three, four weeks ago to bench Zach Brown in their base defense. So they play Sean Dion Hamilton now. I guess they're trying to play with 11 former Alabama players. 
So he's now starting in their base. That's right. Yep. And then they bring Zach Brown in in nickel. Sometimes Hamilton stays in in nickel, but they sort of rotate. So obviously they felt that was a weakness in the run game because Brown, uh, we both remember him coming out of North Carolina. He was much more of a runner than kind of a strong physical in-the-box linebacker. Uh, so, you know, they felt they needed to make a change. Uh, so, you know, you can look at a pain, you look at the Kerrigans and the, and the Smiths, and you say, wow, these are really good players. And they are as individual isolated players, but they haven't defended the run really well over the last month or so. And then the other big change here is obviously the, the team released DJ Swearinger on Monday, uh, so he is off the Redskins. So the biggest playmaker in that secondary not going to line up for this team how do you think that they're going to respond? Monte Nicholson, I don't believe, is available for them because no, he had an no, off-the-field deal. he's got some other issues as well. Yeah, so it's, I, I'm I don't assuming know, totally, DeShazer Everett? DeShazer Everett, who basically plays against three tight ends, he becomes the third safety. I think he's next man up. Yeah, it would seem that way. And he has he started in the league. I mean, it's not sure. as if he's never played before. He started against the Eagles, as I recall, a couple of times through the last number of years. That's correct. Um, so, yeah, I assume he's the next man up. Um We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I mean, the, the, the issue here, I, Everett was a college corner, correct? That is true, yes, for Texas so, A&M. Yep. Swearinger's normally their tight end matchup, and obviously he's not anymore. So at least Everett, if he's going to match up to Ertz, he's smaller than Swearinger, but at least he has corner skills because that's what he played in college until he got to the NFL. And I believe before they acquired Swearinger a couple of years ago, Everett was that role for them, at he least was. in the matchups for, you know, against us for sure. All right, so let's get to the other game that obviously a lot of fans are going to have their eyes on. It won't be at, you know, at the same time because it's happening at the same time. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, the Bears playing for that number two seed. So they will be playing their starters at least to start this game. I guess we don't know if they'll have an eye towards L.A. or not. But Minnesota versus Chicago, I guess before we get into one side of the ball or the other, we'll just kind of dive quickly into this. Matt, what are the, the things that you're looking for in this matchup? Well, I think since they made the uh, the – Offensive coordinator change in uh, Minnesota. The one thing that has stood out is clearly the commitment to running the ball, which was not happening prior. And they actually do have two very good backs. Dalvin Cook can be very explosive, as you know. Latavius Murray is a very solid back who's capable of being a number one, uh, not a high-level number one, but he's filled that role in the NFL. So they have two really good backs. Um, I think their offensive line has clearly played better the last couple of weeks. It's been a line that has struggled throughout much of the year. There's been a bit of a revolving door due to injury and just due to change. Um, And it's certainly not a top-level O-line. One could even argue it's a below average NFL O-line, but you and I both know that offensive lines, when you run the ball, they sort of gain a little more confidence, they feel better about themselves, and they've been able to run the ball, and then they've been able to play to what Kirk Cousins does, which, you know, Kirk Cousins is a quick game, boot action, play action quarterback, that's his game, and when you run the ball, you're able to play to the strengths of his game. Yeah, I mean, the matchup that you got to be excited about, I guess, in the passing game is, if look, if Minnesota's not able to run the ball, if Chicago can stop the run and they are forced to throw more often than they'd like, you have to like those matchups the Chicago defensive line can present against that Minnesota oh, offensive line. I mean, with, Without with, question. With, and, and by the way, this is the best pass defense in the league in terms of passer rating by a wide, wide margin. Now, that's just one measure. I don't know what the yardage number is. Sure. But, I mean, passer rating against the Bears defense is, is something like 70, which is really, really great for the Bears and terrible for the opposition. And the Bears present so many problems defensively. Uh, we haven't really discussed them a whole lot, but... Uh, um, 
Vic Fangio, to me, is as good as there is in the league at, at kind of blurring the lines between man and zone and, and making it really difficult for the quarterback to get a clean look at what, what he's doing, uh, what he's seeing. And all they need is that extra beat for the quarterback because they've got they've got Mack, they've got Hicks inside, and Leonard Floyd has improved dramatically as a pass rusher over the last month or so. Yeah, I mean, it's been fun. I watched them a couple weeks ago when they took on the L.A. Rams. I've, I've seen a couple games here and there of crossover opponents, and just, you know, watching that defense, they're so fast. I mean, you know, you've Roquan Smith, the first-round pick Oh, yeah, he's, he's also very improved. Yeah. And for Eagles, you know, I mean, obviously Eagles fans are not studying the Bears, but Akeem Hicks is in some ways very much like Fletcher Cox yeah. because they're both bigger guys who are extremely powerful yet have quickness and can win with both quickness off the ball and hand usage but can also just drive uh, offensive guards or centers right back into the pocket. Yeah, and then that secondary, I mean they've they've played well. Eddie Jackson is is been outstanding, but yeah, know, he was even... out last week, but I think he should be back because my sense was that if, you know, if he had to play he could have, but I think he'll be back this week. Yeah, so you've got uh, Eddie Jackson back there, Kyle Fuller at corner. Prince of Mukamara has played pretty well in the games that I've watched uh, as well. And Adrian um, Amos, they have a very nice safety tandem. They do. Yeah, I agree. So uh, it's going to be uh, a really good defense, obviously. It's a, it's a great defense right now uh, in the league going up against that Minnesota offense. On the other side of the ball, you've got an offense in Chicago that – presents its own share of challenges as well. You have great speed at the running back position with Tariq Cohen, uh, a lot of different targets there available for Mitch yep. Trubisky. Overall thoughts on how Trubisky has performed this year from uh, start to finish? Uh, up and down. Uh, I think the key with him is that he's got a couple things. Number one, you don't want him to turn it over, and I know that's not a profound statement, but at, at the way that team is built with their defense, you do not want turnovers. And secondly, you have to be really careful with him because of his ability to make second reaction plays. That's a strength of his game right now. You know, he's a, he's a guy that can move around. Uh, you know, the Eagles saw that with Deshaun Watson, when a guy can move around and, and avoid the rush and, and shed people, and then whether it's by running or throwing, and Trubisky, that's probably the biggest strength to his game as we speak today. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really fun matchup to be able to go back and study on film if uh, the Eagles go to the playoffs. It's the Chicago Bears, one of those games or one of those teams that the Eagles could be playing. So uh, here's hoping that they're able to come out on top. It'll be a fun one to go back and watch. Greg, we will see a Sunday afternoon here, 425 start. 425, That's I right. know. We got the late, we're in the late window, as they say, Fran. Yeah, there's seven games in the 4 o'clock hour. I, I, lo- I love how the league uh, sets up Week 17. But looking forward to watching that game here with you here from the NovaCare Complex. Until then, we will talk to you next week here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thank you, sir. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. We've got a great comment this week from McGriddle, who left a five-star review and a comment on our Stitcher page saying how much they enjoy this show, so thank you McGriddle. Appreciate the comment. Thank you for listening each week and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep the show going. Earlier I told you we would dive into Redskins defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis as I reveal my notes on him coming out of Temple just a couple of years ago. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. 
All right, Matt Ioannidis, 6'3", even, 299 pounds. He was a two-and-a-half-year starter for the Owls, lined up at both defensive tackle spots as a one technique, a nose, and a three technique in that base 4-3 scheme. He did move around a little bit, but most of his reps came at the, came at the one and the three. Timed the snap really well. Really liked his snap anticipation. Got out of his stance quickly. Showed good initial quickness off the ball. And he could play sideline to sideline because of his movement skills. He had the combination of quickness, lateral agility, and burst to win with athleticism at the next level level really showed good play recognition to sniff out screen passes and perimeter run plays as well against the run he was almost always in his gap he was always where he needed to be and while he lacked pop in his hands his competitive nature and his ability to to work blocks at the point of attack resulted in him being a pretty good run defender even though he was a little bit undersized he used a wide variety of moves as a pass rusher he disrupted passing lanes on his way to the quarterback as well and he had a good motor to make plays in pursuit so overall I really liked his film very active player now now, from a negative standpoint, he did pop right up out of his stance at times, could, could play with better pad level, needed to get bigger and stronger at the point of attack. Too often he got moved by double teams, and even one-on-one, he struggled to hold up consistently in the run game at Temple. Not a guy in college that would take on blocks and shed them with ease. He typically had to win off the snap, or he rarely won. So didn't get much movement with his bull rush. Overall, his strength and power were, were questions I had with him moving to the NFL. And I wrote down as my final summary, a competitive of three technique defensive tackle with limited position versatility but definite value as a penetrator inside not sure how high his ceiling is as a starter but he does have enough value as a valuable backup at the next level at the very least he'll stick in the league and earn starts inside in a 4-3 scheme and what's interesting about this overall evaluation is just that last part that final summary where I pegged Ioannidis as a 4-3-3 technique only and I was shocked when Ioannidis got drafted by Washington because as a 3-4 team I didn't know what his upside would be. Boy, I was wrong about that because not only did he make an impact as a rookie, as a role player on passing downs for them, but he eventually got bigger and stronger and grew into the base package uh, and ended up being a starter defensive end for them. And he, that's where he's at now. They drafted him off his ability to get after the quarterback, which he, which is, that's obviously most important, as we all know. He played that role early on, but as he continued to add weight, as he continued to get stronger and certainly more powerful than the guy I saw at Temple, Ioannidis is a strong player for them who's capable of winning his one-on-one matchups inside. He'll see most of his reps come against Brandon Brooks in Sunday's game, so that's a matchup to keep a close eye on, but he is certainly one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL and an improved player as well from last year to this year, so keep an eye on Matt Ioannidis. Again, a Philly kid, or a Jersey kid who went to Temple here in North Philadelphia. All right, great stuff this week from Greg Cosell and all of you out they're listening, whether on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you again. And one more time, just take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you next week.